When I was graduating from high school, I, I, I worked different jobs. I worked at a place called Winn-Dixie. If that doesn't make me sound Southern, I don't know what else. Does anybody know what Winn-Dixie is? All right. How many of you guys know what Piggly Wiggly is? Raise your hand. Oh, wow. You guys have had a little touch of Southern. You're like, you, you've been around some rednecks. That's a good thing. Uh, that's how I grew up. Okay. We had a Piggly Wiggly. We had a Winn-Dixie. Uh, we had all those kind of things. Food land. That's, that's was our grocery stores and stuff. It was great. Growing up that way. Well, then I, I was going off to college, and I needed to make some real money. And I got a job working for the Redstone Arson, which is in Huntsville, Alabama, not doing uh, rocket science stuff. Uh, I, I worked construction crew on the campus of the Redstone Arson and for where, where NASA was and everything in Huntsville, Alabama. And I got, like, hazard pay because I was working on, on, on campus of that stuff. It was really cool. Uh, but I did that making money, and we were installing insulation inside of a building uh, that was going to be used for that kind of stuff. It was super cool. And I remember being on the ladder. We were weeks, me and Bubba, my best friend Bubba, we grew up together. We got a job together. We went to college together. And me and Bubba were on these ladders and we're putting in this insulation. And I just stopped and looked at him and I said, Bubba, have you thought in just a couple of weeks we could meet our wives? And I mean, I, I, that, that thought hit me. I'm like, you know, I, I, I dated a couple girls and I was chased by girls all the time, which is part of the curse that I had on my life. But... But anyways, I was like, and, and I, I just had this thought that, man, I'm, I'm going to this Christian college and there's going to be all these girls there. And I could, well, we, we went to college and six weeks into it, I, I, I did meet my wife. I met Jenny. And, and I just remember how I, it wasn't like I met this girl and like, I'm going to marry this girl. I met this girl and I was just intrigued. We, we, we met at a soccer game, and then the next day, me and Bubba and Scott, my, my best friends that I grew up with, we were at the, the mall, and we were at the food court, and I just remember this so vividly, and I told the guys, I said, I just came out and I said, if I run into that girl Jenny tonight, I'm going to ask her out. And they're like, well, which one? I said, the blonde hair girl, whatever. I was trying to describe her to them, and I'm like, that blonde hair girl, I'm going I'm to ask her out. And, I, and that night I did, and we started dating. And man, I, I just knew I was, I was falling hard for her. I was just, we, we, I, I had hair, and uh, that, that was already a bonus. And when I started losing my hair, I literally prayed, driving down the road, looking in the rearview mirror, looking at my head, said, God, let, him, let them hang on until I get married, God. Just let them hang in there. You know, just, you know, I was so desperate, like, to have a head of hair when I got married. And, and, and so we dated for a while, and, and I just knew. I remember calling my mom one time, and I know I've shared some of this with you guys. I, I told my mom, I said, the girl I'm dating is the girl I'm going to marry. And she's like, well, Tony. I said, no, Mom, I know that the girl I'm dating is the girl that I'm going to marry. We dated from 95 to 96. 96 to 97, we got engaged and we're engaged. We were married on May 10th of 1997. We started our life together. Uh, May 10th of 2000, so exactly three years later, we graduated together. And, and, and we, we walked the aisle on May 10th of 97, and we, we gave our lives to each other on that altar. And we, we walked in another church for our, our Bible college degrees on May 10th of 2000. We got our diplomas on that day, and God allowed us to share that time together. Well, then I got a phone call from this church in Columbus, Ohio, and I got invited to come up here. And, and I came in to be the youth pastor, and it like was completely just blown me away that I would have the opportunity to do this. And God blessed us with three kids. And we had Jordan, Logan, and Morgan. And uh, it just, it's, 
you say, so what is the point of all that? Let, let me tell you, we've been through a lot. We, this, this year, we'll be celebrating 26 years of being married, and it's been ups. Yeah, well, yeah, 26 years. I've been blessed with that amazing woman for 26 years. And, uh, but in that time, I'm just being real. There, there was times that it was really amazing and times that it wasn't. There was times that we were getting along so well and times that we didn't even want to be in the same house. And it's that, well, you're a preacher. Well, I'll tell you, you're a Christian. So there you go, all right? We're going to start calling this out. Marriage is not easy. But I can tell you at the beginning of it, I remember when we first started dating, we would go uh, to this place, and uh, it's just a hangout lounge. We would sit on the couches in this room and, and just sit there for hours. I'm, I'm not joking, for hours and just talk. What's your favorite thing to do with this? And oh, I grew up this way. And hey, have you ever been to Six Flags? Have you ever rode this? Have you ever done this? And just constantly investigating, whatever. Do you know what that does? It just brings you closer together. And then, you, then you're talking about getting married and your vision and like going to a church. And I, re- <clears throat> I remember when I was telling her that I'm struggling with the idea that I, I might be called to preach and I, I'd be leaving computer science uh, degree to be able to go into youth ministry. And, and I, I remember she, she, her telling me that she's praying for me to make this change. And when I try to change my minor and all this, and all this time that we're going through life together, God's just bringing us together. And then kids come and jobs come and problems come. And sickness comes, and schedules, and all this other stuff, and, and, and sometimes it pulls you apart, but it's, it's a struggle. Can I tell you guys this? There is no such thing as you putting your marriage on autopilot. There's no such thing as you not investing your marriage and you'll be okay. So if you go on vacation, this is, this is what you normally do. This is what a lot of people do. You're going to go to your refrigerator. You're going to go to uh, the fruit and stuff that you have. You're probably going to throw a lot of that out. Because if you leave it in the fridge, if you leave it on the counter when you come back, what's going to happen to it? It's going to stink. It's going to rot. It's not going to stay fresh. It's, it's going to get stagnant. It's going to wilt. It's all, all these different things because it's, it, that's just what happens to it. It's part of the curse of this world that nothing self-maintains. Nothing does. Just leave anything. Even, even we're talking about some of the issues with the building and stuff like that. Last, last week we had issues with the lights turning on. Why? It's 40-some years old. It just, it's just worn out and things like that. Just problems come. It's the same thing with marriage. Problems come. I'm going to tell you, if anybody's here, and I'm just, I'm just I, I tell you, I have a lot of my heart, a lot of my mind. I just want to set this stage because I'm going to, we're going to hit Ephesians 5 really, really hard over the next two weeks. Really hard. If you want to read ahead on that and stuff like that, that's fine. I want you to be ready for this. I've been in church for a long time, and I think a lot of you guys has too. And it's amazing how many couples that I have known, they come out later being divorced. And this is not a knock on anybody that's been divorced. I'm just, I'm just being real, okay? This is, this is all we are. That end up, and I sat back and thought, I would have never, ever, ever dreamed that they would go through this. Because the truth is, in a lot of churches... There are people that your marriage is struggling behind the scenes. You don't talk about it. You're not going to post it on Facebook. We're not going to, you know, you don't really don't even know how, how to even talk to people about it. You just, you just know that you're struggling. 
Behind the scenes, there's not the communication, there's not the romance, there's, there's not the emotional connection that you need, there's not the support, there's not the encouragement, and, and you just drift from that. And, and, and Satan, Satan loves that to happen. And, and I, I'm telling you, we, we've seen uh, good marriages go bad. It's, it's no longer HelloFresh, but rather goodbye romance. It's real. There are ups and downs, and ups and downs are part of marriage. It's part, ups and downs are part of every marriage. But sometimes when the downs come, the ups don't follow. And you drift. And, and, and I, I think a lot of times we see it like couples that have been married like me and Jenny have been married. 25 and 30 years at a time. <clears throat> you say, why is that? that? That they start struggling with that because their identity gets wrapped up in what they do. Wrapped up in being a mom, wrapped up in being a dad, and wrapped up in all these things. And when the, the, that, that's come out and they go off to college or they get married or they get jobs or whatever it is... And all of a sudden, it's like, hi, I'm, you know, your husband. I'm the guy that takes the kids to work and does, you know, all these different things that we've been playing Uber drivers and all these other things for all this time. Sometimes you can't even put your finger on it. Or you try. We need to talk more. You go to a conference. We need to do this more. It needs to be improved. And things are just struggling. Why is it so complicated? Can I tell you guys why it's so complicated? Because it's the one relationship that takes two. It takes two. So if I go to church and I hear a message and, and I'm, I'm thinking, you, you need to be on fire for God and you need to be in your prayer closet. You need to be fasting. You need to be praying. You need to be reading. You need to be worshiping. You need to be doing all these things. <clears throat> well, here's the thing. I can do that. But in marriage relationship, I can do that. But that's only half of the equation. And some of you are like, well, what do I do? Because... I, I'm trying, and I want to change, and I want to improve, but I'm just half of the equation. Marriage takes two. And this has a huge effect on our world today because these issues are traced back to marriage. Now, we can blame the government. People do that all the time. If they would just do this, and if they wouldn't pass this law or this. And you realize that everything in our society is wrapped around marriage. Everything. No, it's not. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. God created marriage. Satan attacked marriage. Marriage falls and, and from Adam and Eve having disagreements. It all goes back to, to, to Genesis. It all goes back to that conflict that we had from the very beginning. If you were to take government, it's based on homes, which is based on marriages, which is based on individuals. If you were to take the school, if you were to take church, whatever, it's based on, you break down culture today. If you break down the church today, it's, it's made of a husband and wife coming together and being one. And we blame everything under the sun. It gets worse than that. It's not just culture issues. It's the next generation issues. And I, and I know I'm talking to a lot of Christians as I speak in this room right now. And if you're not a Christian and you're just here just saying, here, I'm just here, I don't know what this is about, man, just listen to what God has a plan for your life when it comes to heaven and your life when it comes to marriage and everything else. For kids to grow up in a home where we preach and teach that marriage is the way that God has established for men and women to come together, whether it's intimacy or just, you know, coming, cohabitating or whatever, we talk about that. But then here's the problem. Our kids see a different mom and dad at church than we see at home. Mom and dad at church, walking around, has this impression that they have it all together. <clears throat> they sing in the choir, they teach classes, they greet at the door, they, they lead in one or whatever it is. And man, everybody thinks they're great. But man, behind the scenes, what people don't know is mom and dad argue about everything. 
And behind the scenes, mom and dad, there is no romance and there is no date nights and there is no uh, edifying one another. It's just miserable at home. And our kids are observing this constantly. And we're telling them, one day you'll meet somebody special and get married. And they're like, man, I hope not. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if, that, if that's my future and if that's what I have to look forward to, I don't want it. It doesn't matter the facade that you put up at church. They see the real you. They see it. There is no college that we send our kids off to like how to have a good marriage and how to live out romance and how, how, how to communicate. You know, you know where they, they, they train up a child the way you should go. It's not just right from wrong when it comes to stealing and, 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 and cursing or whatever. That, that's right and wrong. And this is how you have marriage and this is how you forgive and this is how you love and this is how you take care of your spouse. You lay it out. This is the way that it is done. But then they get this facade of everybody else on TikTok and YouTube and everything else that puts out this impression of a whole different mindset of relationships. And it's not of God and it's not right. But you know, they paint the picture that they're happy and that it works. So they reject this idea of going to church and loving your spouse and serving God and putting God first because that's not working. I know it's not working because I've seen it with my own two eyes. Satan destroys the foundation of this. Now, I, I told you guys that this is for everybody, so listen to me. If you are married and your marriage is great, praise God. But do not tune me out and say, well, I've got this figured out. If it's in the Bible, we need to refresh our minds. That, that's where that, this is, all, everything that we learn that grows and gets better, okay, comes straight from this. The Word of God is alive and living. This is not you come in here to hear Pastor Tony's opinion, although I'm going to tell stories and illustrations and application. But when I say turning your Bibles, this is where we get life. This is where the freshness comes. This is where it comes alive. This is what we pour into our recipe, pour into what we're doing that makes it alive and living and changes everything. You leave this out, it will die. So it doesn't matter if you're married, if you're not doing things God's way. And by the way, okay is not okay. It's like, how you doing? We're getting by. Well, woo, you know, that's the example we need to set with our kids. I'm getting by. There's the, the old lady, you know, like, when's your anniversary? I don't know. When's the ball game on? Six o'clock. What's up with that? Man, something's off with that. L let me say, if you are divorced, God is not finished with you. Because every time I do message series like this, people in the back of their mind, I don't want to sit there and hear about that because mine didn't work out and I just feel so bad about it. Man, God restores, God renews, God heals. So I don't want you limping through this and walking out of here like dro drooping your head. You are a child of God. You are forgiven by the king. You, re you remember it doesn't matter our past of what's happened. God restores and God lifts up and God makes things new. If you are an older person, I need your help. Because a lot of times they're like, well, that's not even applying to me. I'm not going to go to that series or I'm not going to attend that because I'm, I'm widowed or, I, you know, whatever the case might be. We often check out during this time. I'm going to do a little Bible study with you. Okay, this is like a commercial, all right? But I'm going to plug it in here because this is heavy on my heart and it's Bible. Bible says in Titus 2.2 that the aged men, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? But, you know, honestly, the aged men could be me if I'm talking to a 20-year-old. I've, I've, I've got 26 years on them. Okay, and it talks about them being temperate and sound in charity and, and, and sound in their faith. And then it says in verse three that the likewise, it talks about the aged women. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on that. 
So talking about their holiness and not false accusers. It talks about them being teachers of good things. Who are the older people? Teachers of good things? What kind of teachers? That they might teach the younger women how to be sober, to love their husbands and to love their children. There is a detriment in the church when we separate older from younger. We sit there and they have nothing to offer and, you know, I'm just going to check out. They're, they're, when, you're, when you're older, you, you've gone through some things. You've already sent your kids off to college. You've already had an empty nest. You already know what those stages of life are. And they're just thinking about it in theory and wondering what it's going to be like. You've already been through it to tell them. It's called wisdom. We can have knowledge all day long by reading books and watching videos and going to classes and conferences. But one thing the older have that we cannot get anywhere else is wisdom. When we start rejecting wisdom, the Bible calls us fools, according to the book of Proverbs. So I say to every older person in here, please, please, help us. So well, the younger people won't listen. Okay, let me talk to the younger people right now. I'm not talking about them and older people. I'm not talking about you shoving your opinion down people's throats. Like, and, and, and I think that's the, that's the difference. But when we know wisdom that comes from God and we know mentorship, it can change the next generation. When I've been through some things and I know it is right according to the word of God and I pass it down. And I think sometimes we, we, uh, we, we leave out the Bible with that. And that's why I'm here. If you say, I don't know all this stuff when it comes to Ephesians 5. I couldn't explain it to my kids and my grandkids. Then show up next two weeks and learn how. Because they're going to have marriage problems. Or you're going to have that grandson or that granddaughter come visit at your house. And they're going to, well, one day I I might marry that boy. Do you know what marriage is? Can I tell you what the Bible says? And this is what it takes. So please don't check out. The Bible Bible talks about being an example. Verse 7 of that same passage. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. You know who he was talking to? The older people. I think it's time that the younger people start paying attention to the older people. And I think it's time for the older people to step up and start mentoring the younger people. You say, where are you getting that? Straight from God's word. And God's word always works. And I say this, if you are single here, don't wait till you're married or going through marriage counseling or waiting till you're going to the, the premarital counseling to get ready for a wedding. Now is the time to write these things on your heart that you know how to live it out when you get there. You want to say, I, I, you say, I, I want a better marriage than what my parents have. This is how it happens. When God created marriage, he created everything in Genesis, and he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. In Genesis 1.31, he created marriage. You know what he said at the end of that? He said, it is very good. God kicked it up a notch. Everything that God created in the world was created for us to enjoy. Marriage should grow. Marriage should be good. It should have joy. It should be special, okay? Marriage is a reflection of our relationship with God. You think about that. In our relationship with God, everything that we have. Can you imagine somebody being married for 40 years? You start talking about singing the praises of God or reading your Bible and go, I don't read my Bible. I've heard all that before. I've been saved 40 years. Would that be be inspiring to you as a young Christian to hear? You say, no way. When I've been saved for, you know, I've been saved for most of my life. I want to tell you guys right now, my relationship with Jesus Christ is better today than it was last week. Man, I keep growing in my faith and I keep discovering new things and his mercy is new every day like they said in the song today. And God keeps speaking to my heart. Man, God keeps me on fire. It should grow better and better every day the longer you are saved. Well, guess what? Your relationship with your spouse is based on that relationship that you have with God. 
So for anybody that's been married 40 years and you start talking about your anniversary and you're like, ah, I don't know what we're doing, shame on you. Shame on you. I'm not saying that you have to like rent a hot air balloon to take her out for her birthday, but I'm saying you should do something. Come on, guys, step up. The Bible talks about Proverbs 5.18, that they let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Rejoice. And the next verse, it says, be thou ravished always with her love. Man, and, and, and a lot of times relationships start this way. You know, when you're in that, that beginning that, you know, you meet and then you're discovering things about the person and like, hey, can I see you after work today? Can I stop by? And we drop the flowers off and we just, I just texting because I love you. I'm thinking about you today. 20 years later, where does that all go? You know, it's like, it's like, hey, where's dinner? You know, it's like, did you wash my clothes? I need clothes tomorrow. I mean, that, that's the romance. You want to stop by Home Depot? We need a sink. You know, that's. That's the romance that happens after all these years in our relationship. Shouldn't be that way. So we're going to be talking about Ephesians and talking about what God says about marriage. And there's two major ingredients that need to be part of your marriage in order for it to work. But can I tell you why this is so important? Ephesians is laid out so cool. The first three chapters of Ephesians, and I told you guys this already, the first three chapters of Ephesians is based on our salvation, our relationship with God. You know why that's important? Because when God created Adam before he created Eve, God was created to spend time with Adam. If you don't start at home base and understand that your relationship with God is so vitally important, you start with God working in your heart before you ever step into a relationship with other people. Let me give you an example. And if you have your Bible, walk with me through this. I'd love for you to see this. It says in Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Redemption, the blood of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. Man, I don't deserve it. God saved me. Man, God forgave me on my past. God did all these things. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you have the quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know why that's important? Because it's a visual of how messed up you were. How messed up were you? Well, I try to be a good Christian. I try to go to church. I try to do better. God says, well, let me just say, this is how it is. When it comes to your relationship with God, you were dead in your sins. How much good can a dead person do? But the good thing is Jesus made us alive. Chapter 3, verse 17, in Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Okay, so now it's a matter of he's establishing something inside of my life. He's making me better. Then we get to chapter 4. I don't know how many of you guys remember, I preached a sermon series on how to change your life. It starts with salvation, then God begins to do a work in our lives. Then we started talking about watch your words, watch your temper, forgive people, work hard, watch your anger, all these kind of things that we talked about. Put off the former conversation of the old man. That's not who you are, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and all these other applications that we have. But then guess what chapter 5 starts to talk about? Husbands, love your wives. Well, I do that. Well, let me ask you, is it this way? As Christ so loved the church. And he gave himself for it. And then he starts talking to the women the same thing. Guess what happens after that? Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. What happens from the home? So you've got salvation. You've got God changing me, the character of my life. It steps into husbands. It steps into wives. It steps into having kids. 
Then the rest of Ephesians chapter 6, guess what it talks about? It talks about the spiritual warfare that we have. And he says, put on the full arm of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Pastor Tony, we're not, we're not winning wars today. I tell you what, we're not having those spiritual victories like we used to have. Well, well let's back up. If we're winning the battle here, maybe we're, winning, we're losing the battle at home. I can't even get my kids to listen to me. Oh, wait a minute, step over here. Husband, love your wife, since Christ so loved the church. Man, I, I don't have a good relationship with my wife. Wives, submit to your husbands. Oh, wait a minute, I, I, I can't submit to him. He has a bad attitude. He won't listen to me. He blows up all the time. Oh, step over here. Control your mouth. Control your temper. How should I do that? You are dead in your trespasses and sin, but Christ made you alive. Where are you at on that cycle? Because a lot of times when things are not working, we got things out of order. If things are not working in our spiritual life of winning the victory, then we should check our hearts and go all the way back to the beginning. And that's what we're going to do is be able to establish and build on these principles. The Bible says if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So we laid out the problem. But I'm going to tell you now, if your marriage is struggling, I have good news. And I mean, even if it's just stagnant, even if it's just like off a little bit, there is hope See, marriage is God's plan, and God has a recipe that works. And the reason why I say that is because your recipe is not working. You know, if, if you've ever made anything before, and you, you try to, like, uh, you, you get into the recipe, and you're thinking, uh, I've done this so many times, I think it's two eggs, or is it one egg? It's three eggs. I don't, I don't know. It's something like that, so we'll just go with two and average it out. And then, and then you go over and like, well, I'm out of milk, but I, I know this is similar to this, so I'll put this in. And Google, what's a good substitute for this? And, and by the end of the time, you have so much of your opinion put in it that it tastes disgusting. It's not going to work right. And we do this all the time when it comes to our marriages. Like I should communicate. Well, I'll just text her. Well, that's not what the Bible was talking about. We should spend time together. That's right. Let's binge watch Netflix. That's not what the Bible is talking about. I should forgive her. Oh, I will as soon as she forgives me or she, she comes to apologize. That's not what the Bible's talking about. You know what we do? We throw in our own recipe and all of a sudden at the end of it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And you know it. The Bible says, be not wise in your own eyes. Stop doing it your own way. So what do we do? We get to the recipe of what God says. In the beginning of Ephesians 5, he says, be followers of God. He said, you just have to follow what God has said. And I promise you, all the pieces are going to come together. The ingredients of a good marriage. So let me break this down. Here's where we're going to go. Let me give you two verses. And let me show you that con- this is how, man, the battle that takes place. It says in chapter 5, verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord. Another way to say that is respect your husbands. Show them respect. Honor your husband. Wives, Reads that almost resentful. Husbands are like, yeah, preach it, brother. You know, like, but the wife sat in that going, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. If you knew how he treated me. He'll walk through the door of the house and act like he's Lord over everything. Getting the words, I love you, is like, man, that would be great. I will work and work and work and work and come home and all she can tell me is what I did wrong, what I said wrong, and what I didn't get done. Yeah. Thank you for your piece of advice, but that's not real life. The wives read, Husbands, love your wives. It's Christ who loved the church and he gave himself for it. The wife gets bitter. Love me that way? I haven't heard the words I love you in so long. If he does, it's just out of like, 
like obligation. I, I, I see other wives that their husbands will drop off flowers or text randomly or in crowds he'll make, make me the, the joke of the evening because I burned something or I did something. But then he comes home and like, I got needs and you need to meet my needs and you, we're not intimate like we used to be. Why would I? When I married a jerk and he doesn't love me, you talk about Christ loved the church, and, and the last thing Jesus did before going to the cross is he got on his hands and his, and his knees and he washed the disciples' feet and he served them and he got up and said, Being, this is an example to the others. And, he's, and why is there like, I can't even get him to wash a spoon that's in the sink whether I'll wash somebody's feet and serve me in that way. So here's what we've got. We've got a stalemate. We've got the husband over here going, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. You got the wife on this side. I'm sick of it. Man, I tried. You want me to do what? You want me to give of myself? You want me to turn around? You want me to serve you? And I, we, we might not physically do that, but in our hearts, that's what we're thinking. Almost to the degree when I preach a message like this, or we have a time like this, we're built up like with bitterness. Like, man, stop. Get in the real world. If you really knew what was happening, if you knew what was happening behind the scene, Pastor Tony, that's not real life. Relationships struggle, and by the way, that gets into your head while you're doing this, you're watching other couples. You're like, man, I wish my husband would open doors like me, like that. I, 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 wow, did you? You could take some notes. He makes notes, he, he, he drops off notes for her, or, 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 or randomly sends texts, or it's plans dates, or planned an anniversary trip. When's the last time you did anything like that? Wife does the same thing. Looks at some, uh, somebody else's wife. Man, if I just had somebody that cared half as much as she did. Man, if, if a man, she just walked up to the group and said, I married the best man ever. I've never heard those words. And jealousy comes in. And we get further and further away until one day you hear, did you hear so-and-so-and-so-and-so broke up and got divorced? Or they're talking divorce. No way. What happened? It's a slow fade. Listen. Guys, listen to me. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow fade. It's, it's, it's a step in the wrong direction, and it's bitterness and pride, and I'm done, and I've tried, and I'm aggravated, and I can't even stand to go home. And you want a date night? I'm not going out with you. Barely can stand putting up with you as we sit by the, at the table, and you complain about everything that I did. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to just do one verse today. And set up the next two weeks. And it was almost like God was sitting the husband and wife down. And like, you come over here and sit down. You come over here and sit down. Let her have it, God. No, no, you be quiet. You be quiet for a minute. I'll, I'll talk to her. Lord, just set him straight. Lord, Lord, you be quiet too. And this is what he says. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Because God has a plan, and God has a recipe, and God's about to lay it out. And by the way, you guys listen to me. I don't care what the world says works. We're going to do it God's way, and I'm going to preach it God's way. The world's way is not working. And when we get into some of these subjects, we take the world's philosophy and put it in our minds, and that sounds so chauvinist, and I will never, ever, ever, will stop. We belong to God, and God has a plan, and God's way works.
Stop throwing your opinion in there because all we do is mess it up. So this is what he says. And, and long introduction, one verse, short points. Listen to this. The first word he says in Ephesians 5.21 is submitting. Why is this important? He said, submit, submit, submit to one another. And a lot of times when we get into it, Lord, tell her to submit to me. And God says, well, wait a minute. Let me start and help you understand that the steps to hope or the steps of the ingredients to hope is about it's taking, it, it takes submitting to one to another. Here, here's the thing that you have to understand. When God created Adam and Eve, God pre- created Adam with needs. God created Eve with needs. And the thing that we do in our culture today, we try to make everybody equal. We are not the same. God made us with strengths and weaknesses and personality changes and physically and emotionally and spiritually, we are not the same. Equally is valued to God, equally is important in the marriage. Okay, so don't get that wrong. But I'm saying that we were created by God to be different, to come complement each other. Like peanut butter and jelly. They're both good, but they're great together, okay? So you've got to have this understanding that when we start talking about women are different, praise God they're different. We start talking about how different men are. Praise God they're different because when God brings them together, God does something awesome. God makes it special. God makes it unique. This is important. And God says from the very beginning, if you have this idea that you're not supposed to submit, then you're not saying, I'm here to meet your needs. I'm here to serve you. The word submit literally means to be under obedience, to put under, to subdue to. Now you're thinking, wait, wait a minute, I'm, a, I'm the man of the house. I don't do that. Now listen, you are part of her life to help meet her needs. And God says the same thing to the wife. You are part of his life to, 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 to meet his needs. You are, you, you are needy. Like, I know that, but here's the thing. God is saying you are needy. You were created with needs, and God created the other person to meet the needs. So the mindset should be like, when we're saying like this, when we turn around, it should be the mindset that I exist and belong to you. So I'm not saying that. Oh, can I remind you? Who gives this woman a way to be married to his man, this man, her mother and I? Her mother and I, they come up on the stage, they grab hands. They're crying. They push away the tears. Till death do us part. You're my honey bunny and you're my this. And we're all emotional and we're talking about sickness and health and death do us part and all this. Did that mean, did you understand what you were saying when you were saying that? You were literally saying that my life now belongs to you and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to be there for you and I'm going to have your back. I'm going to submit to the needs that God created in your life and I'm going to be the answer to those needs. And by the way, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. The idea here to say something like, I've done my part, it's it's his problem, whatever. No, you both have needs. You're both part of this. But notice it says submitting yourselves. It says submitting yourselves one to another. By the way, when it comes to marriage, it takes two. That's the reason why he says submitting yourselves one to another. Submitting yourselves one to another. He says it's you that is submitting, but it goes both ways. God established marriage to be so unique and so different. You guys know this. It's the only relationship that the Bible says, and the two shall become one flesh. And in this passage right here, when you get to the end of it, in in verse 31, if you go all the way to the end of the chapter, you know how he ends it. He said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. 
say, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it does. It was all the way from Genesis when God created marriage. He repeats it in the book of Ephesians. It, it is so important that you understand that if you have marriage problems, guys, listen to me. If you have marriage problems, it's both of your problem. If things need to be improved, it's both of you that needs to be stepping up. It cannot be, it cannot be as Christians like, well, I'll make a move when they move. Stop right there. You submit to God before even submitting to that person. You have to understand that it takes two. It takes both of you. And then it starts with you. It says submitting yourselves. The idea is this. We are so prideful. Pride is what knocked Satan out of heaven. And pride is what got into the heart of man, of Adam and Eve, when they started their division in the beginning of that. It's like, did God really say that? Does God really want you to miss out on that? Pride begins to build up. Pride is going to make you stand like this, going, I'm not moving. I've already done my part. That's what pride does. Pride is sin. The last thing Jesus did, and I've already said this, when he was talking about his love for the church, he took off his outer garment, got on his hands and knees, and humbled himself even to the point of death to die for us. That's what Jesus Christ did for us, okay? That's what he did for us. So you have to understand, the, the verse before this, let me show you this verse. Go up to verse 18. When we're talking about husbands submitting and wives submitting and all this, that says, be not drunk with wine, wearing an excess. But he told us, you better be filled with the Spirit of God. You want to know how this is going to work? It's going to work because God does a work in your heart. It starts with you. You say, I, I need them to turn around. I need them to do something. God starts right here. This is what God wants you to do. If you're hearing this message today, you're hearing the word of God. And I want change in my life. Don't wait for them. Wait on God to work in your life. And you take the first step. Take the first step. You know why? It's just submitting yourself. You submit yourself. You put yourself under that authority. And you know what you're doing more than any of that? You're obeying God because the last thing he says in this is submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know what happens is God does the work. Can I tell you guys God does the work? And in your mind, you're thinking this is impossible. This is complicated. This is over the top. This is never going to work. And some of you have already written it off. I've tried everything. But I'll tell you, it's not about what you do. It's what God does. Your marriage belongs to God. God is the one that created marriage. God created it from the very beginning. It was all about God. And there's this cool thing that God does with our relationship with him. It doesn't matter how far we've gotten away or how messed up we are or what addictions you have or whatever it is. The Bible says in the book of James, this is powerful. In the book of James, he says, you talk about draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Now think about that. This is what God was saying. You draw nigh to God and God on the other side is over here. And he says, I'll draw nigh to you. It's, it's something that God does the work. And it's amazing how when it's the Spirit of God doing the work, and you stand there and say, I don't know what to do, but you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step up. And I, I just want to tell you that I'm, I'm sorry. and I'm, I'm, I've, I've been through some things, and I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I've, I've let you down. I've let you down. And guys, we have let them down. We start with ourselves. Like, I, I, I ask you to forgive me. And I don't want to give up on our marriage. And I know that it's been bad, and I've been a jerk. But man, what did God do with us? Man, when we were so messed up in sin and so far from God, Jesus just makes that first move and he stepped into our lives and forgave us. But I can't, I can't do it. The Bible says in the fear of God, that's literally understanding not the fear of God like I'm going to run from God and fear, but in respect of God. 
When God says, I'm going to do a work in your life, know that when, you're doing, when God's doing a work in your life, the two shall become one flesh. God's going to do a, do a work in their life. And all of a sudden, we start making, dying to ourselves and letting God do the work in our lives. And, and we're going to hear next week some of the ingredients. And you're going to walk out of here and like, I don't know. Oh, well, that's crazy, but I'll try it. And the, your spouse over here is like, what is that? I haven't seen that in 10 years. I gave up on her. I gave up on him. And I, I thought maybe he changed so much that I would never see that. Okay, I'll play this game. You say, wow, that's cool. No, that's God. That's how God works. Because God never set up marriage to fail. God made marriages to thrive. And if they're not thriving, we're missing something in the recipe. So I'm just asking you as a, a big challenge as I open this up. And you say, man, we didn't get very deep. I know. I needed to say these things, okay? We needed to say these things. Now let's come back next week and get ready to do a deep dive into these things and understand that there's two vital ingredients that your marriage will never, ever work. It won't work unless these things are there. So what do I do? Start off this way. Just, just follow, submitting yourselves one to another. You have to understand that you've got to put yourself under God's authority. You've got to be willing to say no to yourself and I was created for them. It takes two, but it starts with you. And you've got to make this step in order for God to do the work because God does it in the fear of God. We do it underneath the relationship and the authority of God. But God does great things. So if you say, man, we're beyond hope, don't give up, don't give up. Because if Lazarus can be dead in the grave for four days and God says, Lazarus, come forth, God can say that to your marriage. Say, hey, so-and-so and so-and-so, come forth. You can freak some people out when you come out of that saying there's romance there when we thought it was dead.